Welcome to ECB Everything College Basketball. Cooking it up with Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. Yeah. It's everything college basketball. We're marching on to the madness. Come to full court press. Every crazy dunk in the conference and how that team's match up. We're pulling your poles, taking your bows, letting the Burton brothers know. The players you're watching, the teachers you're not with, and who you see in the final four. With them shout outs and weekly pickums. Plus those crazy rants from Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. It's ECB. Everything college basketball. Training three. Man, this podcast has it all. It's ECB. Everything college basketball. Training three. Yeah, now the moment you've all been waiting for Your host, from the corner It's Josh and Peyton Burton With Tyler Cool Everything College Basketball Podcast Another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 76. I'm, of course, Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Burton. And this is the first time in probably five weeks that we've been face-to-face doing this in action. So hopefully the quality sounds a little better than Zoom calls. But Peyton, we're coming off the heels of the rivalry in college basketball. Kentucky-Louisville, the Battle of the Bluegrass. Whatever you want to call it, we had a winner yesterday in the newest edition of the rivalry that we will talk about here later on. That will be the main theme of this show. But before we get to all that, let's update the people on a major issue that's been happening in the last two weeks. It's kind of bittersweet. It's some good news, but some sad news as well in regards to Keontae Johnson the the guard forward combo from Florida arguably their best player and a lot of people's eyes SEC preseason player of the year if you guys remember we've been talking about it two weeks ago in the rivalry against Florida State he just collapsed yeah no rhyme no reason he collapsed scary situation rushed to a Tallahassee hospital we told you last week it finally been released from the hospital then it came out this past week that Keontae Johnson, this is where the bittersweet part comes in, Peyton. On one hand, he got to go home. He was released. He's essentially okay. That's that's the good news. Yeah. The bad news is that season's over because he developed a heart issue from COVID mm-hmm. that they find in athletes. So does that mean he's out for just this year alone and maybe he can recover for next year? Does it mean it's the end of his career? We really don't know. But the scary thing is, is anytime you start messing with your heart or your brain, things get really real and you have to be very cautious. So it's a positive. He's cognate and he's essentially healthy and he's home with family and all that good stuff. He's not laid up on a hospital. Remember, they even said they had him in a coma. Yeah, had a medical-induced coma. So that's positive. But it is sad that his season's over with and that we don't know what's going forward. And this is all due to the COVID. It said it's a COVID-related heart issue. What grade is he in? Because I actually don't remember. 
He's uh, sophomore, junior, senior. Um, Keontae, I don't recall. I can look it up. I was wanting to say he's a junior, but he might be a junior. Either or, if he if his, his career is not over, he'll at least get a, another year next year because everyone gets a free year this year. So if anything good news comes out of that, that's good news. But yeah, like you said, anything that happens to your heart, it's very touchy because you look at uh, uh, Shaq's son. Shui. He's a junior. Yeah, he's a junior. So he has a, an extra year just in case his career is not over. Um, but what I was saying with Sharif O'Neal, Shaq's son, he had heart problems. He had to get heart surgery. And he's playing now for UCLA. So everything went well for him. Hopefully, same results goes to Keontae Johnson. Yeah, it makes me, not to the degree, but anytime I hear heart issues, it makes me think, and I know older people that will remember this, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there's a kid from Lawrence North High School here in Indianapolis, Indiana, that was a big-time prospect, literally and physically. It was a seven-foot guy. I think he was a five-star, maybe four-star around that age. Because back then, like, the ratings, they didn't kind of go off that as much. It wasn't as prevalent as it is today. But nonetheless, I digress. His name was John Stewart, played for Lawrence North. He's a big dude, seven-footer, agile, big hands, soft balls, as they like to say, could score around the rim, defend, all this stuff. Well, he had committed to Kentucky to play for Tubby Smith. And this is during the height. I mean, Tubby had just basically taken over. This is late 90s, early 2000s. Kentucky was still Kentucky at that point. He had got to go play with Tayshaun Prince, Cliff Hawkins, uh, Gerald Fitch, Keith Bogans, all – I mean, the great Chuck Hayes, all them great players. He had added to it. Well, in the, I think it was the sectionals or the regionals, one of those two here in the state of Indiana, at Columbus North, actually, during the third quarter, he just collapsed on the bench. He died right there because of a heart issue. Um, and then Tubby did a great thing, too, his senior day, which would have been like 2003, 2004. He still honored him. His parents got to come out and get a plaque and everything, even though he never stepped foot and played for Kentucky officially. But that, there's a good story about it. If you want to find it on YouTube, go search up John Stewart, Lawrence North High School. You'll find all about it. But anytime I hear heart issues and players collapsing, I think about that. Yeah. One of my best friends, Chris Burris, he had a heart murmur a year ago, his senior year in high school. And he had to get surgery on his heart. And obviously everyone was very worried for him. And this was during football season. He loves football. He probably, I think it's just his favorite sport. He loves football over basketball. Uh, he plays both, but football is his main sport. And there's, in deep of football season and he had to set out a little bit or he still got to play a little bit which is still not the greatest decision in my eyes especially with someone with heart problems um but towards the end of the year like after the season was over he had to go get a surgery on his heart he was out for a couple months but he was ready to come back for basketball season so heart issues is very touchy and I had to deal with it with him before so um I'm just hoping everything comes all right obviously he won't be back for the rest of the season which sucks Sucks for him, sucks for Florida, because he obviously he's a preseason SEC Player of the Year candidate. Um, but then again, he gets an extra year, so hopefully he can come back next year and be back. Yeah, year. let's hope our fingers crossed that he gets healthy, they figure out, because we're still learning new things on this COVID each day. Yeah. Still learning new stuff about it, and um, let's pray that he continues a path of forward recovery and can be healthy and cleared to return next season for the Gators or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But good news, he's home, he's awake he's everything else essentially is good with him bad news is COVID related heart issues he's done for the year so it's kind of positive negative there but we needed to lead off with that story and then another story in the COVID issue let's, let's go right into it Duke's women's basketball first year head coach there Carol Lawson the Tennessee legend 
they announced a couple days ago, right before Christmas, that they're done with the year yeah. due to COVID issues or at least COVID concerns. That's a big program inside of women's college basketball that just packed up shop and quit. Um, so Duke's no longer – like they'll have to reshuffle everything in ACC, I'd imagine. Teams have to play Duke, get a bot or however. But it's not like – and this is no offense to a school like Northern Arizona or Tarleton State. This is Duke. Women's basketball done for the year, COVID concerns. Really hope it's not a trend, but you kind of got to keep an eye on this. That makes me worry, especially what he's already done a couple weeks ago, canceling their season. Do you think Coach K would do the same thing with the men's program? I think he would only do that if they continue to suck. I could see him if they go on a streak like Kentucky goes on. I don't think he plays season. I, I really don't. I think if they started the year off, let's say they had like four or five losses there, and they're sitting there at like eight and four, eight and five. I could easily see him be like, all right, we're done to save face. If he does that, I feel like a lot of teams will start doing that. Yeah, like if, if one huge domino falls, then I think there'll be more to follow, sadly. I hope not. I mean, I hope we get the season in um, for women's and men's. But, yeah, uh, I really hope it doesn't come to a domino effect where – uh, women's program starts it, and then Coach K does it, and then everyone else follows suit. So, well, like that, like those coaches say that these players and athletes are way more safe on their campuses in their own personal bubbles than they are at home with family or anything like that. Yeah, because they they've got the they've got the right medical team to be there with them in case something happens. They they have the contract or contact tracing to know like who's been with who. So they're a lot safer there on campus with them to get this season in. And if they just can hold out, we've already started to see the virus, um, um, the vaccine, the, the vaccine, the shots being rolling out. Just hold on for another month or so. Hopefully by February, people can start getting it more regularly and then we can maybe get back to normal, but maybe, I mean, probably not, but maybe by March we can actually have fans and stuff again to set up for next year, things back to normal. Also, another point about this whole COVID situation, how it's safer for the players to be on their campuses and actually be at home. It's also safer for their families as well, because what if they go home and they have COVID? And like in my case, I live with my grandma and they give it to them. Right. Then that'd be tragedy. So it's definitely best for the players and the family safe for the players to stay on campus. I just hope we get the vaccine. I hope it actually works. And I love at the end of the year or close to the end of the year, especially by March Madness time, we can have fans or more capacity of fans. Um, but if not, I'd rather just have the season to be played out fully. Crown a national champion. Don't take any breaks throughout the season. Um, I just want the season to play out how it's supposed to be. I, I agree. I agree. But it's definitely something we've got to monitor and really keep an eye on. Um, Peyton, before we take a commercial break here, Everybody knows that watches ESPN, Jimmy Dykes. I, and I love Jimmy Dykes. But he's known about midseason, he starts his Jimmy's Jet, where he starts previewing teams that make the NCAA tournament and where they kind of stand. He does a funny little thing with it. We're now introducing Burton's Bus. And if we come up with a better name, we will. But i just playing off Jimmy's Jet. So basically, Burton's Bus, we've broke it down into – imagine this is a Greyhound bus. We've broke it down into sections. 
We have the first class seating, the top of the top, those teams who've separated themselves that deserve all the amenities. These are the teams that are sitting up front that are getting service waiting on them. They're getting food and drinks and they're laid back. Their seats reclined back. These are the, these are the teams that are living the life right now. Yeah. Then we have the middle class row. Those who are not quite good enough to make it to the first class, but not so bad that they have to sit to the back where the toilet's at. Yeah. And then you have your back row brothers or however you want to call them these are the ones that just barely made it on the bus they bought the cheap seats to get onto the bus but at any point you could make a stop middle of the pack and throw and, them out and throw them out and replace them with somebody else yeah so now that we've laid the groundwork for that let's go ahead first class seating we've got three seats that are taken in this section these are the teams that are bringing you've got the attendants coming to you down the aisles and bringing you sir do you want a whiskey can, can I get you a sandwich? Maybe a foot rub. We've got three teams that are in the first class seating. Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas. Three teams. The only three teams I feel like <clears throat> kind of separated themselves from the pack. Yeah, and Kansas and Gonzaga more than others. Uh, Baylor's obviously there too. They've had some pretty decent wins, but they that obviously they, the Gonzaga game got canceled, so they didn't really have a chance to prove they're one of the best teams in the nation. But we all know they're one of the best teams in the nation. Uh, but yeah, Kansas and Gonzaga themselves have set themselves as far as everyone else. Those two are tied for the most ranked wins in the nation. They're both tied at four ranked wins, um, which is incredible. And they've really shown for why they're one of the best teams in the nation, all three of them. So we move from the front class to the, like we said, the middle class people. They're just, they're there. They've got a good little seat, but it's not first class living. No. Handful of teams in the middle class row. Houston. They are one of the only teams that are trying to separate themselves and trying to get up to that first class. They're right there by the first class seating, but not quite. They're a few rows back from it, but they're begging to get up there to get them some whiskey and accommodation. They are so good, but the only reason they're not in the first class is because the lack of ranked competition that they've not played, but this is a very good Houston team. Yeah. Easily. If they could, <clears throat> if they could have played, a West Virginia or a Kansas or a couple other teams. And I know they beat Texas Tech, but if they could have just got one or two more big time wins, they had been right in first class. Without a doubt. Houston's on this list, probably the closest team to get into that first class category than any other team on this list. That's not first class already. They got that big time win against Texas Tech where they basically just dominated the whole game. Um, that's the only good win they've had so far. Once they get into the conference play and start playing teams like Memphis and stuff like that, maybe they'll have more opportunities to get into that first class. But as of now, they're probably the closest team. Uh, they're just right there, but not quite there just yet. Yeah, and they might be the only team in the nation, or at least one of the few, that has a trio of guards as good as they've got. Yeah. Uh, also in the middle class, we're off some names here. Villanova, Wisconsin, Creighton, Texas, Louisville, who just bumped them way up to middle class, uh, Virginia, Tennessee, Iowa. I know there's a few of you that's going to be like, oh, well, maybe Iowa should be first class or maybe Villanova, Wisconsin. They still got it. I mean, they'll win one, lose one, win one, lose one, and that's not first class. First class is the tippy-toppy best. I mean, this is the, the $100 package where you get all the amenities. The middle class is more like you pay 50 bucks yeah. to get on. And Iowa's not first class until they get a better defense, until they learn how to defend. As of now, they're second class. So that's yeah. out on that. 
I agree. Um, also, teams like Villanova, yes, they have good wins, <clears throat> but then they have they wishy-washy. They're not quite there yet. Yeah. Of all those teams in the middle class, you look at Houston, Villanova, and Tennessee, in my opinion, as the three that could slide up eventually to first class. Yep. Tennessee, without a doubt, is – They just has, haven't played nobody. They, yeah, they have – well, not yet they haven't played anybody. No. This week they will play somebody, and they'll have a chance to maybe jump up to the first-class category. But, yeah, they got a deep, talented team. Just haven't played nobody. Pretty much beat up on everybody they played so far. Uh, no good wins yet, but they're still good enough to be on that second-class category. And then the back of the road. These are the guys who paid $10 to catch the bus late that are on the bus and they're glad they're there but are holding on by the skin of their teeth. They're stuck by the shitter. They have no leg room, all that stuff. North Carolina, Illinois, Indiana, UCLA. They're all on the bus. They're all heading toward the same direction as the other teams. But at any moment, a bad loss, the bus driver can say, all right, we got to stop in the desert, y'all off, somebody else on. Yeah, North Carolina, they got some okay wins. I mean, they beat Stanford in the Maui tournament, gave Texas a win for the money, lost to a game winner. Um, played Iowa close for a little bit, and Iowa started to beat them up inside and pretty much went away with that game. Obviously, beat a terrible Kentucky team, um, but that's really the only wins they got. Carolina State beat them on Tuesday. And, yeah, North Carolina State beat them on Tuesday. They're kind of wishy-washy in my eyes. Um, they're mediocre at best, in my opinion. So they're on the bus, but they're way in the back, and they're very close to getting thrown off the bus. Yeah, Illinois, I know they just beat Indiana, but – we start off so hot. They're scoring the ball well, but these big games, they can't get the final possessions that they need defensively to seal out big, big-time wins. That They beat Indiana, and then they turn around and lose to, um, like, Rutgers or whoever, right? Or Missouri. Or Missouri, yeah. Um, so they're back of the bus instead of middle of the class, and they put themselves there. They're easily middle of the class, but – it's like a kid who maybe they maybe they bought a middle class section and got in trouble. And the bus driver's like, "You get your ass to the back of the bus, or you're off." And they're like, "Okay, okay." So they put themselves there. Uh, Indiana, same way, five and four right now. I still think they're a good team. They're good enough to be on this bus. <laughs> but again, they win a big one, then they lose one. They played Florida State really close and lose, and then they turn around and get beat by Northwestern at home. Yeah, it, 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 too inconsistent. Yep, too inconsistent for my liking. They also played Illinois yesterday. Played them very close. I think it was up like 49-44 at one point, and Illinois went into like a 14-0 run and ended up winning the game. Um, just can't finish games, can't really hit shots, and when you're not hitting shots, you're just not winning. So too inconsistent for my liking. And the other one, UCLA. Peyton had way high hopes for them. And they're – I mean, they're only – they're 7-2, and two, so it's not a terrible record. But if you look at their competition, both their losses came against the two real teams that they played this year, Ohio State and San Diego State. Diego State. So they beat a bunch of bums that they should be beating, which is good. But the two teams that they've actually had to play, they've lost. So they're on the back of the bus when they should be middle class. Yeah, I thought UCLA would be better than this. Maybe once they get into conference play and start playing teams in their actual conference, like Arizona State, maybe they can wake up some more wins. Uh, maybe beat Oregon, that would be a good one for them. But as of right now, they're a good defensive team. They can't really score the basketball besides maybe Juzong. Um as just right now, they're just too wishy-washy, and they're probably the most one of the most disappointing teams in my eyes because I was very high on them coming into the season. They're just not doing too good. Yeah. And before before anybody questions us, what about Florida State? What about Minnesota? These are good teams, and they are obviously heading towards the same direction this other team is. But this is the big Greyhound bus. Those teams right now, because they're 
they're just kind of there. They're on like the the short yellow bus. They're still heading towards the same direction of the tournament, but they're not on this big luxurious Greyhound is who we've got on here. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. So there, there's the first edition of the Burton's buses or Burton's bus. We will uh, maybe do this weekly or maybe bi-weekly to give teams more time to separate, but there's a new addition to this podcast. Hope you guys enjoy that. If you have any comments or thoughts on it, let us know. Yeah. And before we end this segment, because you forgot to do it at the beginning of the show, shout out to Conrad Cushman, Everything there Pro go. Wrestling, there you our sponsor for the show. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. You can find this podcast on Anchor, Spotify, every podcast platform there is. He's on there. Go follow, go subscribe to his YouTube channel, type in youtube.com and the search bar type in everything pro wrestling and hit that subscribe button so there you go conrad i got you dog yep appreciate you conrad um also shout out to wayne emberton got to see him in person last night he's ready to do big things we got something cool coming down the pipe eventually with us and him collaborating again but our badass intro theme song wayne emberton real life music group shout him out go check him out on bandcamp.com other than that we're gonna take our first break in the action when we come back Gotta recap the rivalry, whether I like it or not. We gotta recap it. I love it. So you're listening to 76 of the podcast. Come back in one minute and. Come back in one minute and join us. Welcome back to episode 76 of the podcast. And Josh, this week, yesterday, we got to experience the best rivalry in college basketball. No debate. Don't care what anyone says. I'm staying true to that. We did a live video talking about it. It gave our reasons why we think it's the best. And uh, if anyone has a disagreement, then just let us know. But our, well, <laughs> all right, ESPN, I see you trying to interrupt us again. Yeah. But yeah, we got to experience the rivalry, Louisville versus Kentucky. Um, a different feel for this game. There's still a lot of hype coming to this game. Uh, Louisville was five and one, Kentucky was one and five. But still, even though Kentucky was one to five, and both teams were unranked, by the way, first time since 2008 that neither team, not either one team or either both teams, have been unranked since 2008, which is a crazy stat. Just shows how good this rivalry is. Um, so both teams were unranked. Kentucky coming into this game was 1-5, and there still was a lot of hype surrounding this game. And this game was – Louisville ended up winning 62-59. Kentucky was on, what, a three-game winning streak against Louisville. Yeah. Last time Louisville Dating won was 2016. Yep. The Donovan Mitchell year where we beat uh, Kentucky's De'Aaron Fox and Leek Monk. That team, ain't bam out of the bayou. Um, this game was good, uh, very low scoring. First half, cards led 28-27. Um, very defensive-minded in the first half and throughout the whole game. One thing that the really uh, um, the really thing I wanted to talk about is how both teams really defended in the first half. Uh, both teams were getting at each other defensively, and Obviously, Kentucky's offense isn't good. Louisville's offense, especially Collie Jones, was playing scared uh, a lot in that first half. He only had like seven points. He was very hesitant on shooting the ball. Anytime he drives the lane, he'll cross someone up, get space, but he'll just throw it too high off the glass and barely hit the rim and just misses it because he's afraid he's going to get blocked by Isaiah Jackson or Olivier Sawyer. And that was pretty much the story in the first half. 
there was a point in the game where Kentucky had a lead, but David Johnson played big in the first half. He had 10 points, three for four from three. Um, he played really well in the first half. But what was your opinion in the first half before I saw it way more wrong about this game? Um, I don't know because part of me wants to say sloppy, but that's because of the offense. But in reality, both teams didn't turn the ball over, so it's not that sloppy. Uh, I just thought it was bad offense, good defense, uh, mixture both in the first half, missed opportunities by both throughout the game, first half especially. Um, players of the first half for Louisville was probably David Johnson. I think without a doubt, David Johnson was playing. I mean, he hit that crazy shot. Wild. Late, late in the shot clock. Literally, what, like a second to go? <laughs> two, yeah, second, two seconds, And like Kentucky's player of the half was... Mintz. I guess Mintz. Mintz, maybe Davion, probably Lance Ware. Probably, I mean, you can go back and forth. He didn't Mintz, score, but he he kept a he kept a lot of balls alive. Yeah, defended well. Um, I player of the game overall for Kentucky was definitely Davion, but I think the first half Lance Ware probably gets my nod. He just did everything. Chances when Louisville would try to take a run, Lance Ware do something to shut it down and give us an extra possession. So for me, the player of the first half for Kentucky, even though he didn't score, but he changed the game in ways, was Lance Ware. I would agree with that if Mintz didn't hit a couple big-time threes back-to-back because, especially in that first half, like, he kept you into that game. Even though Louisville's offense wasn't really playing well, which credits in Kentucky's defense, but there'd be a time or two where Louisville would hit a big three, uh, hit a three, get a turnover, maybe hit a jump shot, go up for, like, five or something, and then Daniel Mintz would hit a big-time three and then hit another three to bring you either to the lead or within one or something like that, really stopping Louisville from going on a big run. So I'd say – First half scoring wise is definitely on definitely Davion Mance. But maybe all around, if you're talking about doing everything offensively and defensively, uh, giving Kentucky a lot of second chance opportunities, uh, really defending well and pretty much staying out of foul trouble is another key for him. Um, he definitely played really well. So I'd maybe give you that. I think I think you kind of buried the lead. What the lead of this should have been to start off is uh Mac all right, not Mac, but um uh Chris Mack gets his first win in this rivalry yeah. came close last year the year before he it was close but really pj and reed travis and tyler hero buried him last year was close but he finally breaks through louisville breaks through this year i think that should have been the lead of this um you know a couple things i worried about coming in this matchup in a way came to fruition obviously worry about kentucky shooting was bit him in the ass Worry about the free throw line, bit them in the ass. You worry about Louisville's experience guard play, bit them in the ass. All those things were true yesterday. Turnovers, they actually won the turnover game. They won the rebounding game. They won the assist game. They were one three-pointer shy behind Louisville. All those things, if you said at the beginning of the game, you probably think Kentucky wins. And they held Louisville to 62, which is another – go look at their games. They are holding teams to a respectable margin. This is a Virginia type score line here. Yeah. They've got a top 20 defense. Kentucky does in Ken Palm, but they just cannot manufacture points. First half, second half, especially second half started second half. First three possessions of Louisville were all turnovers by Isaiah Jackson led to runouts. Kentucky looked like Kentucky teams of last year and the years prior were they turned defense into fast-breaking alley-oop dunk offense, and you thought, oh, my God, 
I think the first two possessions of the game, you mentioned Isaiah Jackson. He had a steal, an alley-oop dunk, uh, maybe another steal, and, and an assist or something like that. And a poke away. So he was very active in the second half. But they looked like the first three minutes of the second half, you thought maybe they finally got it. They look like Kentucky teams are supposed to look. And you thought maybe they had Louisville a tad bit rattled. Come to not happen, but you're like, okay. But it's the same story we've talked about all year. Kentucky's defense is good enough to win ballgames. Offense is so far behind. And you go back to the first half, you talk about Davion. Louisville goes up six or seven. Davion hits back-to-back threes, red hot. We get a stop, a chance at the end of the first half to hit a shot to go up at halftime with all the momentum. Yeah, Complete game changer. Try to run a set for Davion. He's wide open on a flare flare screen in the corner, and Brandon Boston dribbles into um, Jalen Withers Withers for the charge when all he had to do was – he did his job. He attacked, drove, and got defenders to come at him, left Davion wide open. He had to make the simple pass out, and he didn't. That is a huge, huge factor – and why Kentucky's not very good right now. Yeah, and that's a, definitely a momentum shifter going to the second half. Because like you mentioned, we was up seven. Uh, David mentioned back-to-back threes. Got to stop. He was down one. He was wide open for three. He had a very poss- a high chance of hitting a three and picking you up by, what, two or something like that. Uh, but instead, he drives the lane, tries to do a jump, or tries to do a floater. Um, Jalen Withers and taking the charge. On the other end, he ends up scoring a bucket, and we go up 28-27. Instead of being down going into the second half, we was actually up by one point, which I feel like was a huge key going into the second half. Potential five-point swing, because you consider he hits that three, then it's a five-point swing in that one play. You mentioned stuff coming into this game. Um, One key or the one thing that made me a hella nervous come to this game, or really this whole week, was was Dante Allen going to get minutes? It wasn't Kentucky's front court because we've dealt with good front courts before with Seton Hall and Mama Kelly Sheevy and obviously Charles Bassey for Western Kentucky. And we've beaten them. I wasn't too worried about Kentucky's front court. I was more worried on if Dante Allen was going to get minutes or not because I know how these rivalry games are going to happen. The storyline was just perfect. Coach Cal throughout the week said, told Dante Allen to be ready. You're going to get your time to shine. And he didn't touch the floor the whole time in the first half. Obviously, not the, he didn't play the whole game either, but especially first half, I feel like he could have been a difference maker. If Davion Mance was going off and through, I feel like he could have done the same thing as well, and it could have been a difference maker. But he did not touch the floor at all this whole game. But first half, I feel like he should have at least played some. Well, let, I guess now is as good as time to ending. Dante yeah. Allen played a total of zero minutes. We played as many minutes as you and I played. Yeah. Um, and after all this comes last week, Cal mentioned, oh, Davion's going to have his chance. He just needs to be ready. We're going to get after him. And then he makes the dumbest comment post game I've ever heard a coach say. He said, and I quote, the reason Cal Perry says that the reason he didn't play Dante Allen is because he didn't play him in the first half. He couldn't play him in the second half. And he goes, I thought about twice, two different occasions playing him in the first half. When we're struggling on offense and you have arguably your best score, maybe the second best shooter at this point behind Davion, you can't find a spot. And there's foul trouble. And Cam Fletcher's not playing. You can't find this. And Terrence Clark's only 80% healthy. You can't find a spot for him. That's the dumbest thing. He's doing it on purpose. He's doing it on purpose to Dante Allen. And Dante does not deserve this. You're telling me he could not come in. You give him five or six shots. 
The same way B.J. Boston threw up bad shit, Dante Allen's not going to throw up stupid shit. He'll shoot when he's open. But you're telling me you give that kid five or six shots at the rim, he's not going to at least make one? That's a tie ball game right there. Yeah, that's a difference maker. He his, he scored – he averaged 42, point, like a, a 42 points per game in high school as a senior. Um, I know he tore his ACL, but still, he – average 42 points that you having trouble scoring the basketball you're having trouble hitting shots he is a difference maker he is a guy that can hit shots why aren't you playing him I mean I'm happy they didn't because I thought I was hella nervous because I thought he was gonna play and I thought he's gonna have at least a decent game I thought he's at least gonna be able to hit some shots but no he played zero minutes whatsoever over a guy like BJ Boston who played a lot of minutes who really did nothing he had a couple shots but he made once again bad decisions I've Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Not playing great on defense. Terrence Clark only had like two points. I don't even know. Um, he, he didn't played, play that much. He, he played, played four s- minutes. He played twelve in the first half, but he only played four minutes in the second half. Oh, excuse me, zero points. Yeah, he played four minutes in the first or the second half because of his ankle. What? So another reason Dante should have played. Wasn't they comparing him to like John Wall and Anthony Davis? Oh yeah, because of athleticism and stuff, and like how good he was. He's he's not good. Neither is B.J. Boston. Neither one of them's good. Neither one of – B.J. Boston, I mentioned this on the postgame live yesterday. The kid thinks he is Kobe Bryant. He has – you can tell. He has that mentality of, oh, when the game's close, all right, we're down. I need to go make a bucket. Screw <clears throat> running offense and screw trying to get somebody else involved. He thinks, oh, I got to go hit a pull-up. And he can't – he cannot hit the broadside of a barn. David Johnson scored more points for the Kentucky than Olivia saw and Terrence Clark did combined. Yeah, on that tip in. On tip in, he had, yeah, it was a two points he gave for Kentucky. Terrence Clark had zero points. Olivia saw had one point. He has went quiet since that Notre Dame game. Yeah, and Olivia saw, um, why is he posting up 17 feet from the rim? I don't know. Yeah, he can hit that shot, but if you're that big, you're asked, and if you're not that strong, then, then you're not gonna make it the NBA either. And I know the game's spread out, but you're playing against grown men. You got guards who's gonna bully you. Like Chris Paul will bully him if he yeah. can't back up. You know, get his ass set in the post. That's ridiculous to have to post up 17 feet from the rim. And yeah, I get it; he can hit it, but that's ridiculous. Uh, BJ Boston's awful. Terrence Clark's awful. Olivier Sars playing like dog shit until at least. One of those three step up and take over, preferably all three of them, this is going to be like this for Kentucky. Or unless he can find something out of Dante Allen, Devin Askew, and all them can start lighting it up. But until Kentucky learns how to shoot and you get one or two of your big three stars to play well, this is going to be the story over and over and over and over again. The five plays I should have been on the floor within a couple minutes there because obviously Kentucky went cold. They had like three possessions in a row where they would either turn the ball over or get a back or get a violation. Um, And they had three opportunities to score and go up and within like a minute left and they just couldn't do it. The five players I should have been on the floor who was actually playing hard and actually playing pretty decent was Askew, Mintz, um, maybe Isaiah Jackson, Jacob Toppin, and Lance Ware. Yeah, you gotta give a lot of credit to Ware and Toppin. Um, I thought Askew wasn't as good in the second half as he was first, but yeah, I agree. Jake or Isaiah Jackson, even though he fouled out again, he still goes hard for rebounds, defends well. So you, shots, you yeah. gotta keep kind of keep him out there. At least around the rim, he can kind of score. He like jumps up higher than everybody and just throws it at the rim and it goes in. It's not it's not a lot of skill, but yeah. it works. It gets points. 
Uh, yeah, I completely <laughs> agree with that that summation. Jacob Toppin's turned it on, though. You got to give him credit. If there's silver linings, he's played well the last two or three games. He played, um, he played well in that second half against Kansas. Um, he bought them back within one at one point when Kansas started going to line. He played pretty decent against Notre Dame, and also he played good against Louisville in this game. He needs to – I'd pit him in a starting lineup over Boston at this point. I'd do anything not to have Brandon Boston touch the ball right now. And for Louisville, obviously we was talking about a lot about Kentucky. Talk a little bit more on Louisville because they actually won this game. Um, some positives for Louisville. I've been saying this since the season started, since that first game against Evansville. The backcourt of David Johnson and Carly Jones is one of the best backcourt duos in the nation. Um, I feel like they've proved that throughout this whole season so far. Uh, they really complement each other really well. Um, David Johnson, the first shot, played really well. He played really well the whole game, but first shot especially, hitting shot after shot, playing well defensively. He had a couple turnovers, but that's when Kentucky was actually trapping. How about David Johnson didn't come out at all, by the way? He played all 40. He played the whole 40 minutes, dropped 17 points, what, seven boards and like four assists, something like that. Yeah. Tremendous stat line. Carly Jones had like 15 points himself. 20. He had 20. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. He had 20 points. He led, he led all scores. He had a big game. Both of those guys really carried us, especially late game situations. Let, let me let me jump in. I think an unsung hero for Louisville today or yesterday was Jalen Withers. Jalen Withers played great. 29 minutes, eight points, nine rebounds, one assist. And he did have four fouls, but he was battling some other big dudes inside and defending dribble drives. But I thought he was an unsung hero for Louisville. Went perfect from the field, three or three from the field, two or two from the free throw line. I think his development is really going to help Louisville once they get their entire front court back. Um, and then a disappointment yet again, Samuel Williamson. 27 minutes, four points, three fouls, no assists, six rebounds. To me, it's a disappointment because he has so much talent. He needs to – they tried early on in the game, they tried to run – basically a bully action for him because he's running center, but they Kentucky had a smaller guard switched on him because we were switching all screens. And he had, I think it was wanting to say ask you on him. And he tried to go in the post and didn't do nothing against ask you. He's, he's gotta be better than what he is. Yeah. He has to be able to hit shots. He can't be scared to shoot the ball. He's a very good three point percent or three point shooter. I don't know why he's so terrified or so hesitant on shooting the ball. There's multiple times in the game. I'd be screaming for him because he'll have space off an off-ball screen, or he'll just find himself open off of a pick-and-roll situation, and he just would not shoot. He's a punk fake, drive to the lane, try to do a floater, get blocked by Isaiah Jackson, or he just passes it to someone else. Like, you have the ability to hit shots. Why aren't you shooting the ball more? Um, I don't know. Josh Nickelbay came off the bench. He had, like, three points. Uh, he had a big-time three-pointer in the first half. Um, he's came back from injury, which is nice. Nice to see him get some minutes. Uh, but yeah, David Johnson, Collie Jones really played well. Withers was definitely a great player. Uh, played really well on both sides of the floor. Zelensky did what he does. He had a couple shots. Um, once we get Malik Warriors back, we'll be a complete team. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, to like about this Louisville team. I don't get to people who say this is a bad Louisville team. Uh, this is a good Louisville team, and they're going to get better when they have better, like all their team back. This Louisville team. Is borderline top 25 good? You can't say much about that Wisconsin game. Wisconsin's a good team. Also, they blew us out. But, like, we had COVID problems, coronavirus problems. We had uh, injuries. Oh, we weren't healthy in that game. And, plus, we hadn't played since, like, December 1st, which is, like, a long layoff for us. Um, not too many practices. And we got our ass whooped. So, you can't really say too much about that game. Wisconsin's good. But I feel like we made them look better than what they are. But – with that being said, we obviously got the job done. I don't get what people are saying about this Louisville team sucking. 
I, we are a tournament team. Once we get Malik Williams back, we'll be pretty damn good. And as of now, I got a question for you and everyone else. This obviously got us up late last night thinking about this game and just thinking about everything that's happened and transpired throughout the season. Who is the favorite to win the ACC going to conference play now? Well, I mean, it was Virginia started the year. Was. But, but now nobody's really – because I think the – I think the ACC's profile is taking a hit. Exactly. I really think their profile is taking a hit when they could have been better. Um, you have a couple teams in contention because I know where you're getting at here. So I'm going to say you have a couple teams. You have Virginia still in contention. I think we'll eventually write the ship. Florida State's still good. Louisville's good and getting better. Um, Virginia Tech's showing that they're quality. There's a team on the outside of that you're not thinking about. Clemson, who could be very good at times. NC State. Maybe. Um, NC State. Duke could still have potential turnout, and North Carolina still has potential turnout. But there's no clear-cut favor as of right now. Yes. As we sit here, I do think Virginia still finds a way to win this conference with Florida State finished second, Louisville third. But I know we were getting at, and yes, Louisville is one of the favorites now to win the conference. I think Louisville has a high chance of actually getting this conference win. I think Louisville can actually win the conference, or at least definitely finish top three because – I don't know what the – I don't remember the stat I showed you yesterday. I know it was something about since, like, 1980 or something like that. It was the first time and that no ACC school was ranked in the top 15. Um, Virginia obviously got drugged by Gonzaga yesterday. Uh, they're not – they're struggling offensively. Still a good defensive team. Duke's not very good. North Carolina is okay. Um, they got some decent wins. Um, Virginia Tech's okay. It was pretty decent. Florida State's decent. Louisville's – Decent once we and then once we get healthy, we'll be pretty good. As of now, like you said, I don't think it's a clear favorite. I'm not saying Louisville's gonna win the conference, but as of now, I think we have a pretty high chance once we get healthy and be a complete team when Malik comes back, that we have a high chance of winning this conference. Definitely finish top three. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I know you got wrapping this thing up, so we're not talking Louisville, Kentucky, even though it's the best rival in college basketball. Both ends of the both ends of the spectrum here. Let's start with the winners of the game here. And they needed the win because if one side continues to dominate, it's not much of a rivalry, now, is it? No. So Louisville needed that win. They had all the pressure on them. What yeah. All of it. Because they couldn't beat this version. They were not gonna win anytime soon. So they had all of it. They came through. Um, so let, let's talk Louisville. Um, where do they go from here? What do we see from them? before we move on to the Kentucky side of things? Like I said, um, once we get Malik back, we'll be a more complete team. But And Charles Malone as well, once he gets back, we'll be a more complete team. But as of now, I'm very impressed with how well David Johnson and Carly Jones is playing here lately. Uh, like I said, one of the best backcourt duos in the nation. In this game, our defense played really well the whole game, especially in those late-game situations. I know how bad Kentucky's offense is, but – you have to give at least some credit to Louisville's defense there on stopping them three possessions in a row um, from them winning the game or possibly winning the game. And also, we are actually a pretty good, unlike last year's team coming to this game, we actually shot really well from the free throw line. Yeah, 12, 12 for 15, 15 yeah. 80% around that area. No, it was 80. 80, was 80 yeah, 80%, yep. um, 12 from 15 from free throw line. Last season, we lost the game because we did not shoot the ball well from free throws. Uh, Different ends of the spectrum. Obviously, Kentucky didn't hit free throws. Louisville did. That's why we won the game. Um, but, yeah, those are some positives that I can take away from this game and throughout the season. Uh, I'm, I think the ceiling's very high for this Louisville squad once we get our 
whole team can play. Yeah. Yeah, I think with this Louisville team, the defensively, the pack line is, is good. I think just finding a balance of consistency because when they're playing better teams in Kentucky, they're going to have to learn how to close out games. They're going to have to learn to stay disciplined when teams make runs like Wisconsin barraged them and defended the three well. Um, because there was times even the 5 the threes Kentucky, which was basically Davion Mensah hit four of them, he, he did hit one tough one, but the other three were kind of wide open due to breakdowns in the pack line. Louisville has to defend the three better, learn how to close out games. But I think, I think they're going to be all right, especially when they get their, their bigs back and integrate into the system. Yeah, I think some negatives for Louisville in this game. I feel like at some point we should have been up at least a little bit more. Maybe not double digits, like I said on my notes, but I feel like we should have been up at least a little bit more. There was times in the game we would be up by four, but I feel like we should be up by maybe eight or ten or something like that. Um, but we weren't. Besides David Johnson and Carly Jones, our offense looked very stagnant at times, which credit to Kentucky's defense for doing that. Uh, everyone on the floor of us, and Coach Cack, Coach Cack, Coach Mack mentioned this in his press game conference or post game conference that everybody on the floor needs to keep moving. Yeah, yeah, and I thought you were gonna mention he mentioned too because we watched this post game. He talked about it threw him off because Kentucky hadn't switched ball screens all year and they were switching everything, so it threw Louisville off with the size and the length. Because even mentioned they're not going to see a team like that other than maybe North Carolina. Yeah. Um. So it really threw them off. And I agree with the negative, not so much a negative, but something Louisville is going to have to get better at. Yeah. <clears throat> David Johnson and Carly Jones, your backcourt's going to win you ball games and keep you in ball games. But you do need other options to score. You need whether it means Malik Williams comes back and scores eight to ten a game, or Samuel Williamson steps up scores eight to ten. You're going to need more balance throughout the year because eventually those guys are going to get foul trouble or some issue, and you can't rely on both of them at all times. You have to develop more options going forward. Yeah, and the other one, gotta take care of the ball more. Um, those times of games, like a couple possessions, well, where we turn it over or make it a stupid decision step out of bounds or something like that. We got to take care of the ball more and we got to capitalize on our possessions when we get them. Yeah. You, you look nervous when Kentucky ran that uh, run and jump trap because you turned it over two or three times out of it. Yeah. Eventually we settled down got through it. We actually got an alley-oop at one point, breaking the press, but yeah, we, their athleticism and size scared us too much. And anytime they trapped us, well, they should have done a lot more in this game, but because uh, it was working at some point, but yeah, once they was doing that, definitely, got us nervous and we made some poor decisions. Yeah. So Louisville, though, good win. They needed that real quick with Kentucky. What else more can we say? Starting one and six, again, the worst start since 1927. Um, if they lose two more in a row, if we somehow manage to go to one and eight, it'll be the worst start since 1911. Um, it's hard. You want to try to find positives out of this, we will. Mintz needs the ball in his hands a lot. He definitely needs more shots. He needs more shots than B.J. Boston and Devin or um, uh, Terrence Clark combined because he's the only one that can show he can hit <clears> shots. Yeah, he, He's got to find ways to get shots off ball. He's the one that we need to be running the floppy action and the hammer screens and all that stuff for, yep. not B.J. Boston. So Mintz needs more shot attempts by far. Devin Askew, Jacob Toppin, Lance Ware all developing. You can see their growth in their game the last few games. So those are pieces you can work with. 
I seen that's what you have positives. What do you got to say about that before we move on to the obvious negatives? Yeah, it's very hard to find positives on the Kentucky team because obviously they're one and six. But a positive throughout the game, Mintz was really the only play, the only play actually that was hitting shots for your team. And you still had a chance to win this game. You only lost by three points. Oh, we got to mention the defense, too. That's the de- Oh, yeah, the defense, too. I forgot to mention that. That's another one. But Mintz was the only player who was hitting shots, and you still had a chance to win this game. There's no more victories, uh, not for Kentucky, but if there is, that's one of them. And my second one is he didn't really, he played well in the first half, but the last three games he's actually starting to play as a true point guard. He's starting to settle down and adjust to the college game, and that's Devin Astor. He's starting to play a lot better. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's what I mentioned. You you can see some development and ask you Toppin and Lance Ware, so that's positive. Negatives we got we don't got all day. So negatives obviously the lack of running offense, the lack of scoring, and the lack of free throw shooting all go hand in hand. Yeah, they all go hand in hand. Um, B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark and Olivier Sar not playing to what we thought. You know, Sar is a little better than the other two, but those two guys. Come in as high price five stars, supposed to be NBA players. They don't look like they could play, go back to high school and play right now. Um, and then coaching, coaching adjustments, because it's the same thing every time. First half, these kids look really good. Second half, other coaches make adjustments. We don't. And it's obvious when we get out on the floor. There's so many negatives right now that it outweighs any of the positives. <clears throat> I just don't see how we climb out of this hole right now. It's very difficult to climb out of this hole. You can very well finish last in the SEC conference, which will be a first time in my lifetime at least. Um, you're just very bad right now. Uh, Allen obviously hasn't played in the past two games, the North Carolina game and this game. Um, that's a negative itself, but that's more towards the coaching than anything else. And you mentioned Saw. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Livia Saw in the past couple of games has went silent. Um, scored one point in this game, scored like a two points in the North Carolina game, just not playing well. There's too many negatives to talk about. Probably do a whole podcast segment talking about Kentucky's negatives, but we're not going to do that. So I'm gonna can, can I something. mention something real quick with Kentucky going yep. for Ken Palm legit stats? That, something crazy that was posted that I double-checked myself, and it's true. On Ken Palm, Kentucky's got the 82nd, I guess you'd say best, but 82nd offensive efficiency. They got a top 20 defense. They're 20th in defense, which is crazy. But here's the one. They are dead last. 357 out of 357 and what Ken Palm considers the luck meter. Basically, how lucky you are in games. They are 357, dead last in college basketball and luck. They are a negative 324. Oof. And I'm not saying luck has a lot to do with it, in my opinion, but Ken Palm goes on a scientific uh, adjustment statistics based upon whatever he goes by. They're dead last in luck. So that, I mean, that, that has a little something to do with it. I just thought that was crazy. 357 and 357 in the luck. By contrast, the luckiest team in college basketball is Navy, who's at a plus 0.31. So, jeez. So, but anyways, um, Louisville wins this edition of the the rivalry. I don't think we're going to see a a rematch in the NCAA tournament at this rate. But so we'll have to wait for next year. But until then, Louisville has bragging rights for the year over the state. And and the decade, we're one to one now. The new decade. Kentucky Uh, won last year, we won this year. um, Actually, you're one to oh in the new decade. This is 2020. 
Oh, that, that so you're one and oh. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah, one yeah, and oh. Let's go in the new decade. So, and I, were you gonna go in on KSR or no? Yeah, pissed off Jack Pilgrim from KSR, most importantly, because he's the one who posted the dumbass posts. Um, if you follow him on Facebook or on Twitter, he posted this whole blog about saying his Bulls obviously celebrated this game. Um, they celebrated in the locker room, they celebrated after the game. It was very high, but I mean, it's a viral game. Obviously, we're going Everything college basketball listeners, what's going on? It's Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. And I'm here to let you know how you guys can catch up on all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling. You guys can go to youtube.com, type in Everything Pro Wrestling, give us a subscribe. We are over a thousand subscribers now and we have achieved a YouTube partnership. If you guys want to be in the live chats, come on in, join us and talk pro wrestling. We record AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. We also talk about WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and your local indies, and much, much more. So make sure you guys are subscribed to Everything Pro Wrestling. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All the live streams are transferred right onto there. But enough of me talking about pro wrestling. Let's get you back to listening to everything college basketball. After the game, it was very high, but I mean, it's a viable game. Obviously, we're going to celebrate because we just beat Kentucky. Uh, first time in three years that we beat them. And we were celebrating. He posted something stupid on Facebook and Twitter that said, I don't know what the exact quote was, but it said Louisville has celebrated this win of Kentucky like it's celebrating a non-vacated title or a national championship. And the for these, they put non-vacated. And I'm like, why are you posting this? Why are you so bitter that you've lost? Just take the L and shut the fuck up. Excuse my language, but this actually, I was in a very good mood yesterday until I seen that bullshit. Yeah. Like, that pissed me off. Like, literally, just shut the hell up. Take your L like a man. You lost fan square. Get over it. No, I agree, and I've actually posted before you even said anything and said we're in no position to make fun of me, but it's a rivalry win, and I've seen personally in the last X number of years that KSR has been around, and they post stuff for how, and they and it's so hypocritical. They'll post videos and stuff from our locker room where we celebrate throwing L's down, and oh, yeah, th- their comments are a lot different. They're like, well, look how excited we are to L's down. We beat Louisville. Look how excited. Our guys really love it, and it means something to them. But let Louisville actually beat us and want to celebrate. And then we post some crybabies, bullshit like that that makes us look bad. And actually, a lot of fans, if you're watching and pay attention, there is a good majority of Kentucky fans online right now that are actually getting to that point where they're like, shut the hell up. Like, we're in no room to talk. Like, we hate Louisville, but we're not winning. So let them be. Like, we have no room. And – Guys like Jack Pilgrim and stuff try to do that to placate, to try to make fun because uh, – and I think it's dumb. I think it's so stupid. Yeah, that legitimately pissed me off yesterday when I seen that. Like, you lost fan square. You're like a spoiled kid who's gotten everything going up, and then they don't, finally don't get something, and they're just crying like a little baby. Like, just shut the hell up. Stop being a sore loser and stop being bitter that you lost. Because I remember a couple years ago when Louisville, when football was beating Kentucky's ass a couple years in a row – and this was Lamar Jackson year where we almost went to the um, playoffs. We was like almost beat, almost beat Clemson. It was very good. This was uh, Lamar Jackson's Heisman year. Uh, Kentucky beat Louisville. 
And after the game in Kentucky's locker room, they was up there had celebrating, throwing the L's down, smoking cigars, and I'm sure he loved that, didn't he? Oh, yeah, I guarantee it. And, but on the other way around, just hypocritical. I, it literally pissed me off. He was like, shut the fuck up. You lost fan square. No BS about it. And just take you out and shut up. Go right. Cards. That's all I, I got to say. But anyways, moving on from that, Louisville wins. The game of the day from Saturday yesterday, what we thought was supposed to be the game of the day, Number was it number sixteen, Virginia? Uh, I think there was 16, 16, something 16. like that. It was close. I got it right here. I'm pulling it up. Yeah, I think it, they. Were, yeah, number sixteen. It was number, number 16. sixteen. Virginia is playing number one Gonzaga in a matchup that we thought was supposed to be really good. Peyton, name one team in college basketball that's better than Gonzaga. You can't say Baylor because they really play nobody, and Gonzaga has four ranked wins, so Gonzaga is without a doubt the best team in the nation. Right. They end up beating – now, I can't get around this. They beat Virginia 98-75. They hung 98 up on Tony Bennett's defense, which is something I thought would never happen. I said 83 points they was going to score. And I thought maybe that would be stretching it. They pin up almost 100 on a Tony Bennett defensive team, Virginia team. Can, can let me give you a little trivia? Because since they didn't score 100 – do you know the last and only team to put up 100 on Tony Bennett's Virginia team? Was it recent? Uh, not real recent. Uh, I have no clue. It was like five, six years ago. I'm not sure then. Lorenzo Romar's Washington Husky team. Terrence Ross did it. Oh, Him, shit. His Terrence Ross's uh, Washington team. They Man. put 100 spot on them. But 98-75, Peyton. They're too much. Jalen Suggs didn't even play that well yesterday. He had eight points, but Kispel went off with 32. They, You stop one, two or three others are going to beat you. They have the best six-man in college basketball, Andrew Nimhard. They have a three-headed monster, Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, and um, Jalen Suggs. Suggs. Then that you throw in guys who would be starters anywhere else, and Joel Ai and um, – Watson. Yeah, Anton Watson. They, they pl- They're too good. This is what we're going to have to talk about. If Virginia can't slow them down, if West Virginia can't slow them down, if Kansas can't slow them down, nobody in the WCC is slowing them down. Who beats Gonzaga? Please, Mark Few and I forgot the Bayless coach. Scott Drew. Scott Drew, yeah. Scott Drew, please find a way to reschedule that game. Baylor's the last hope. I think Baylor can possibly beat Gonzaga, because they as well have a good offense, but they also have a really good defense as well. They're probably the only chance of right now if they reschedule the game to has a high possibility of beating Gonzaga because nobody else has done it so far. What year did Indiana go undefeated? It was like 76, 75? 76. That might be in jeopardy if they don't get that yeah, game Yeah, shout out Tim Foster for posting. I was going Facebook. to post it as well, and I forgot because I was too busy watching the game. And they score at a crazy, crazy like rate – it's unbelievable. I'm gonna pull up some Gonzaga. They're obviously they're the new number one offensive team in America. Yeah, passing Iowa. They're number eighteen in defense, Peyton. They're number four in tempo, which means the ball don't stay long in their hands. They're got a shot up or attack in the rim. Three point or effective field goal percentage. They're second, shooting sixty one point three percent. They don't turn the ball over really. They're fourth in the nation from two inside the three point line, shooting sixty four percent inside the three-point line, and then from three, they're shooting 36%. That's maybe their only Achilles heel in offense, and they're still shooting basically 37%, which is a crazy rate. Free throw line, they're shooting 71% as a team. 
I don't know what to say because this we talked about it before this year. The difference between Gonzaga this year and Gonzaga in the past is their defense is yeah, matched up to that. their offense. They're too good. Yeah, They're too good. That's the craziest side of them all in my eyes. When you think of Gonzaga, you think how good of an offensive team they are. But they are so good defensively as well. They're putting up numbers and they can stop you as well. And that's why they're the best team in the nation. They are as close as unstoppable as it gets. I don't – they're going to pull – uh, pull the teams in the West Coast and Conference because they're going to run through them with easily. I don't know what it's going to take to beat them. You're going to have to hit like 23 plus, go off in three, um, and also be able to defend as well. Baylor's the last hope in my eyes. I agree. I agree. At least maybe, right now. Yeah, maybe if they get Tennessee in the tournament, but then again, we got to see more in Tennessee to really think that. But as of now, until we get to the tournament, Baylor's like the last hope, and I really hope and pray to get that game rescheduled because what a game that's going to be. Yeah, no, I agree. 98 points on Virginia. That's, they're too good. Almost 100. They're too good. By far the best team in college basketball. It's not even close. And I mentioned, I seen a thing, and I forget. I want to give them credit. It was one of the beat writers. I think it was Matt Norlander, and if I'm wrong, forgive me. I think it was Matt Norlander from CBS tweeted out yesterday that um, – Gonzaga is like Alabama football. They have three Heisman contenders in their own team. True, that's great. Kispert, true. Timmy, and Suggs. Suggs. Yeah, and then they have the sixth man. Yeah, and then they have probably the coach of the year. Without a doubt, most likely the coach of the year. We're on pace. God forbid that they have an injury or something happen. Gonzaga is on pace to bring their first national championship home to Spokane. And I doubted them before the season started. Say I don't think they're capable of winning national championship. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I regret that decision, but man, that's 98 points, almost 100 on the Tony Bennett Virginia team. I never thought that would happen. Things you would never think you would say. Yeah. 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 It's wild. Other than that, um, although Keena Clark did have a good game, by the way, 19 points. Sam Hauser still not got off the ground. He had 10, but anyways, other big games. Earlier in the week, a Big 12 clash, number four. Three, Kansas, 79. Number seven, West by God, Virginia, 65. I was wrong in this. I thought West Virginia would give them issues, and Kansas just continues <laughs> to win ball games By hook or by crook, the Jayhawks win, and that's all that matters. Kansas, because Baylor hasn't really played anybody yet, Kansas might be the best team in the Big 12 Conference, might be the favorites to win the conference. Um that game when Kansas plays Baylor here soon is going to be very fun. But the craziest side of them all in this game, especially in the second half, Kansas lit West Virginia up from three. They shot 43.2% from three. They shot 16 uh, out of 37 shots, hit 16 three-pointers. Right. They went on a three-point barrage, and that's what won in, won in this game. Because throughout the game, it was a very close. West Virginia was in this game, I think was leading at one point. And then Kansas just went off from three. Christian Brown had another good game. He had 22 he's points. He's really starting to come along. He's becoming a well-balanced offensive player. He's yep. not just a shooter anymore. He can defend. Rebounds. He's rebounding as a guard. He's a very good rebounder as a guard. Um, he's dropping dimes, seven assists, and obviously he can score the basketball. Marcus Garrett had 15. Ochea Baji had a, a quiet double-double. Uh, Jalen Wilson's having a pretty damn good year. Uh, 17 points, four assists, seven boards. McCormick had a double-double. Um, they are really damn good, Kansas is. Yeah, yeah, and they just – you don't like – because they're not flashy like Gonzaga. They're not beating teams flashy. Now, they had 
what did you say, 16 or 13? 16, 16 threes. Yeah. But they're not flashy. They're not like just overwhelming you. They let teams grind it out and hang in. But at the end of the day, you just expect Kansas to win. And that's what they're doing. Um, West Virginia is a good team, and Kansas beat them in the backboard. Yeah, Kansas had that. nine more assists, three more blocks, tied in the steals, tied in turnovers. All stats that West Virginia normally wins, especially the rebounding, blocks, steals on the defensive end. This Jayhawk team is just finding ways to win, and to me, that's the most important key in March. Yeah. And they're going through the second-best conference in college basketball doing it. They've already got wins over Texas Tech and West Virginia. They've got wins for what it's worth over Kentucky. Yeah. They got a win over Creighton. Creighton. There's some good wins there. Yeah. Kansas, yeah, they're a very good team. The thing is they're doing it without a dominant big man that they're used to having. It's just crazy. And the fact that they beat uh, West Virginia team, who has guys like Oscar Sheboy and Derek Colvin on the boards, two NBA prospects, and they basically they didn't dominate them. They won the rebounding battle by three, uh, 40 total rebounds for Kansas, 37 for West Virginia. Just just find the ways to win, and that's what's the difference between. That's why they're in like the tier one, or they're in the uh, first class on our uh, uh, bus. So, Kansas is a very good team. West Virginia is still good, but Kansas just was just better. Three point barrage really decided this game. But I agree, the Jayhawks for real, and I didn't expect them to be this good. I didn't either. Um, Especially without a dominant big man, they don't have a player of the year candidate like Devon Dodson. Uh, I had a lot of concerns coming to this year for this Kansas squad, and they just pretty much proved me wrong, and they continued to win, which is always nice to see. Um, a game that happened yesterday for Indiana fans. Um, it was a good game. Illinois ended up winning 69-60. Uh, it was at Illinois. I actually picked, predicted Indiana to win this game. I think you actually might have as well. Um, it was a very close game. Without a doubt, the new best closer in college basketball is Avery Donsuma. He hit three after three after three in the remaining like three minutes to really seal the deal. Yeah. Indiana was up 49 to 44 at one point in the second half. And then they went and Illinois went to a 14 0 line led by Avery Donsuma. Yeah. He is phenomenal. And Kofi Coburn's having a hell of a year himself. Dude, he is playing beyond. And we talk about <clears throat> Illinois. Um, Don Sumu, when it's money time, it's time to give him the ball. That's why he's still in contention for National Player of the Year. Um, Illinois, though, like we mentioned earlier on the back of the bus, they have good wins like this, and they'll turn around and lose one. If they can ever find the consistency we expect from the Illini can win the Big Ten outright. Yeah, they just got – just like Iowa, they got to defend the ball a lot better. They got to be a better defensive team. But, yeah, Kofi Coburn had 15-15. and just dominating, and obviously Don Sumo had 30, 30 points. He is the best closer in college basketball. If you look at look at Indiana right now, Trace Jackson Davis had 11. <clears throat> he didn't really play well against the Illini yesterday. Armand Franklin's been a huge factor for IU this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had 23. He's really developed into a solid player. Trey Galloway's jumped into the starting lineup, but I'm still – I'm looking right now. Christian Lander, six minutes, zero points. Two fouls. That's the only stat line he had. They've got to get at Lander. He can be a difference maker for this IU club. He has got to, and I know he's younger and he reclassified, but you've got to find minutes for him. 
he can be a difference maker on this team. I firmly believe that. I know he's younger. I know he's reclassified. But look at what Jalen Suggs is doing for Gonzaga. Look at what Kate Cunningham's doing for Oklahoma State. I mean, I know he started the year off kind of poorly, but he's starting to gel right now. Look at Devin Askew for Kentucky. He's starting to play a little bit better. He needs to get more minutes because he is a difference maker for this IU team. And the funny thing is, we've been harping on IU on their three-point percentage. They've, they've shot shooting roughly a lot better. 39%. Yeah, they've been shooting a lot better. And they still better. lost. So it's I seven and nine from free throw line. They're just not getting to the line enough. They got dominated on the glass, though. They only eight turn- yeah, they only had eight turnovers. I was going to say, the backboard's what killed them. Yeah. They lack – how should I put it? They're almost in a way – Louisville's worse off with their front court because Louisville's smaller – Indiana does have Trace Jackson Davis. They do have Jordan Geronimo, um, a Jerome Hunter coming off the bench. But they lack a lot of interior play as well. There are a lot of guards, forwards. But they need to get more tougher on the backboard. They, they've got to get tougher on the backboard. Um, but, yeah, their three-point shooting the last four or five games has really improved. Yeah. They should be winning ball games like this. But, again, you can't have Armand Franco go for 23, Trace going for 11, and nobody else being, you know, Al Durham at nine. And he's a senior. He's got to be better, too. Uh-huh. He's been there. He's put up 30 points. He's got to be better, too. But, anyways, Illinois, good win. Indiana, I still think, is going to be five, although they are now five and four, zero oh and two in conference. Yeah, I think Indiana would be fine, too, especially if they can keep up that three-point percentage, um, can hit, keep hitting free throws as well. They just got to find a way to get teams off the glass. Yeah. Go, let's real quick go to Christmas night. It was only games in college basketball that day. There were four Big Ten clashes. Let's go with the big upset of the day. Minnesota holding home court at the barn, one of the toughest Richard places Tino. to play. Minnesota 102, number four, Iowa 95, Peyton. Although Luca Garza got 32, the blueprint's there. Let him get his, hold everybody else accountable. Minnesota, Marcus Carr is probably one of the best players inside the Big Ten right now. He went for a 30-piece. Minnesota is now 8-1, and one, Peyton. Minnesota surprised me a lot. Big-time win over Iowa. Once again, Iowa gave up 100 points. They just can't defend to save their life. Um, Luca Garza had 32-17, and 17, dominating performance from him. But, like, C.J. Frederick, I think he only had, like, 20. He had, he had 23 or something. He had a decent game. Weiss game had a decent game. But they just can't defend to save their life. And hats off to Minnesota and Rich Piano for putting up 100 so, big-time win, the 8-1, a lot of momentum going into the Big Ten Conference now. Yeah, Minnesota's really got turned around. Patino's done a great – getting Bosgak from Utah is huge for them. Yeah. He only had seven, but his length and how experienced he was coming from Utah has helped this club out a lot. And then Marcus Carr, one of the best guards in America right now. Yeah. And um, Jamal Mashburn Jr. coming off the bench with eight points as well. How about um, – uh, Brandon Johnson, 26 off the bench yeah. for Minnesota. But, yeah, you're right. Until Iowa learns how to defend somebody, until they learn how to defend somebody, they're not making the run that they want to make. Minnesota shot 43 three-pointers, 17. That's 39.5%. Yeah. So, shooting lights out from three. What a win for Minnesota. Hats off to Rich Patino. And you mentioned Mashburn. That's uh, another Patino with the Mashburn, correct? Yep. Funny. Like- I really hope Iona and Minnesota finds a way to play. Right. I want those two to go at each other again. <laughs> Richard versus Rick, that'd be fun. Um, Iowa has awesome. the exact opposite problem Kentucky has. Kentucky can defend, can't score. Iowa can score, can't defend. If they can find a way to merge them together. You have the best team in the name. You get a really balanced team. You give Gonzaga a run for the money. Yep. The other Big Ten games on Christmas Day, number nine, Wisconsin goes to Michigan State. 
and wins 85-76. Sparty is now 0-2 inside the Big Ten. They're starting to hit a little slide now. Wisconsin continues to shoot the three ball the way they are, Peyton. That is a dangerous team. Yeah, um, Wisconsin spies me a lot. Obviously, they beat up on Louisville, so I know a lot about them. But they're actually proving me wrong, but they're actually a very good team. And, yeah, they have a very high chance of winning this conference. So, Michigan State, you mentioned 0-2. This is two losses in a row. Lost to Northwestern on Sunday and lost to Mich- or lost Wisconsin um, on Christmas Day. Just They're going down a huge slide. I just don't know what the answer is. And they got Minnesota, the next one coming and up they on got Tuesday. Minnesota coming up. Yeah. The, the other the other ones real quick on Christmas night or Christmas Day. I mean, number nineteen Michigan stays unbeaten. They went to Nebraska, win eighty sixty nine. Juwan Howard Jr. or Juwan Howard is finally he's got a good ball club at Michigan, but they still haven't yet been fully tested. Uh, Franz Wagner broke out of his shell at twenty and nine, and then Purdue holds home court beats uh, Maryland. They moved to seven and three overall, two and one inside the Big Ten. Really happy for Brandon Newman. 17 points. Remember, he's a kid last year before I realized he's setting out as high on. Think he was a big time player this year. He's finally starting to get healthy. That's a good Purdue team when him, Travion Williams, um, Jaden Ivey, and all of them play well. Purdue just kind of riding under the radar, I think, right now. Yeah, they definitely are. Uh, they had a big win. Obviously, you mentioned it. Ohio State uh, starting to play a little bit better uh, heading into conference play. We'll see if they're there to make some swings, maybe get some momentum on the side. Maybe play. I would say top half if they take so deep and half it. Maybe more of the packs, sneak into the tournament somehow. Um, yeah, take it in. So that is that. There's your recap from this past Christmas week edition action. We're going to take one more break now, so when we come back, we have some big games, New Year's edition games, yeah. the preview. Conference games are finally kicking off around the nation. we got a lot to talk about in the next segment, so come back and join us for previews of the games and everything that surrounds it. You're listening to episode 76. We'll be right back with you in just one minute. Listening to everything college basketball podcast. Go ECB! Go ECB! Welcome back to episode 76 of the podcast. We just got done reviewing all the big time games last week, and we got some huge conference play games this week that very excited to talk about. Uh, we have some huge games this Saturday, but we also have a huge game this Wednesday. In the midst of the SEC conference, a, a conference that's getting better, but this year it's kind of lackluster. It's not as been good as it was like the past couple of years, but we got number eight ranked team in the nation, Tennessee, going after number 14 ranked team in the nation, Missouri. This game interests me because, first of all, Missouri has surprised me a lot this season. Missouri has beat teams like Illinois. They've had some good wins, and they've really surprised me this season. But Tennessee, this is going to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is going to be Tennessee's biggest test, definitely in the SEC Conference, and Tennessee's not good. But it's definitely going to be the biggest test until they face Kansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge in late January. I mean, correct me if you think otherwise, but I think definitely in the SEC Conference that this is going to be Tennessee's biggest test. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'd have to go back and look for sure on Tennessee's schedule up until they play Kansas. But, yes, I do believe this will be their biggest 
their stiffest challenge, at least up until you look at Tennessee, they're third in defensive efficiency right now. This is a great Tennessee team. We try to tell everybody from the, from the word go, but they haven't really played him. I mean, Colorado's decent. Cincinnati's not what we thought and nobody else is good on their schedule. No. Missouri makes things interesting. Now, now you got your schedule pulled up until they play Kansas. Arkansas gives them issues. Texas A&M plays them close. Florida plays them close, and they got to play Missouri again. So yeah. they do have a couple challenges before the Kansas clash. But yes, you're right. And, and Alabama could give them a game too next Saturday. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Tennessee's third in defense. Missouri obviously been one of the surprises in college basketball this year. Conzo Martin's got his team playing. That's a fifty. That's a top. Well. Not quite top 50, but they're 53rd in offense. They're 28th in defense. Yeah. That's been the big turnaround right there. I think this could be an ugly stuck-in-the-mud game. Ken Palm has Tennessee favored by two low or high 60s, and I think that's about right. You look at the Vols, though, up and down. They have so many experienced and now talented guys, four- and five-star kids. Eves Ponds, John Fulkerson. I think the Vols are too much in this matchup. I think that it comes down to a physical kind of game. But at the end of the day, I mean, you look at Tennessee, they're shooting 36% from three. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad at all. Here's the one thing to keep in mind. Missouri is holding teams to 24% from the three-point line. I don't want to say the game comes down to that because neither team's predicated really on shooting the three. Although they can, I mean, Missouri, well, I lied, Missouri can't. They'll shoot 28%. But I'm not saying that because Tennessee's MO is not to shoot the three. There is just the bully volume and then hit it if they have it. And I think it comes down to Tennessee will hit a couple more than Missouri does. And I think Tennessee bullies them inside, offensive rebounds. They're 15th in the nation, get 38% of their shots for an offensive rebound. I think that's a huge factor. They're just going to be too much, too physical. If Missouri wins, if Missouri wins, Tennessee shoots a putrid percentage from three and Missouri holds their own on the backboard and then gets to the free throw line. Don't think they're going to be able to do all those. That way I have the Vols winning. Yeah, I was going to mention the same thing about Missouri. If Missouri wins, they got to win the offensive glass. Or they got to just win the glass, period. But definitely win, get some offensive rebounds. Uh, offensive rebounds, just 74 for an offensive rebound percentage, 324 They've had some good wins. I forgot about it. They beat Oregon their second game of the season on the neutral site, 83-75. So they beat Oregon, beat Illinois, beat Liberty, beat Wichita State. So they have some pretty good wins. But this Tennessee team, they're too, too deep, too talented. This is their first test. They're going to be looking to prove themselves in the SEC Conference. Um, their first real test coming to this season. I think Tennessee wins this game. I think the Ken Palm prediction is almost spot on. I think maybe a little bit low scoring and probably in the low 60s. I think Tennessee gets the job done 64 to 61. Do you want to know how good Tennessee's defense is? Is I said they're third overall. Effective field goal percentage, they're 15th. Team shooting 42%. Turnover percentage, they're 25th. Or so they're 15th. They're turning teams over 25% of the possessions. Offensive rebounds, they only give up 21% of the possessions to an offensive rebound. They are 15th. 14th in teams shooting free throws and making free throws or field goal attempts. Sorry, free throw attempts, field goal attempts. They limit teams to around 21.4 field goals slash free throw attempt percentage round. 
Teams are shooting 28% from them against three, 48th in the nation. Field goal percentage inside the arc, 42% inside. Um, blocks, they're sixth in the nation in blocks, blocking 16.8% of the time, 16th in the nation in steal percentage, 12.9. So essentially combined blocks and steals, roughly 29% of teams' offensive possessions against Tennessee either end in a block or a steal. Jeez. They are so good, and they keep – care of the ball on offense they're 14th in the nation they barely turn the ball over and we talked about offensive rebound this is a very good deep talented Tennessee team guys like Keon Johnson John Fulkerson Josiah Jordan James Jaden Springer um, Eve Ponds Victor Baylor from Oregon Santiago Vescovi who can actually shoot the ball left-handed very very good Missouri's got good players too Drew Smith Xavier Pinson Kobe Brown Mark Smith Javon Pickett Mitchell Smith very good, probably the best two teams in the SEC right now. I yeah, without a doubt. That's why I said this is gonna be Tennessee's biggest test, and especially in the SEC conference and regular season until they face Kansas in late January. But this is definitely a tall task for Tennessee to overcome. I think you mean for Missouri where, to come over. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I meant for Missouri. Um, I think Missouri keeps it close, but I think Tennessee they're just deep, too deep, too, too deep, too talented. Has too many weapons offensively, defensively they're a very good team. And they're just bigger than Missouri. So I think Missouri takes their first loss of the season. Completely agree. Next game up, we have on Saturday a big time Big 12 clash. Another one for Kansas. We got the number 10 ranked team, Texas, going at the number three ranked team in the nation, Kansas Jayhawks. This game is going to be very interesting because, once again, Kansas, their first three opponents in the Big 12 had to face Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Texas. All three teams gave Kansas or going to give Kansas problems. Um, if Kansas shoots the way they did against West Virginia in the second half, then Kansas might blow Texas out. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think Kansas is going to shoot like 38% from three like they did against West Virginia. I think Texas interior defense is going to keep it close. Um, like Kentucky did in the first half, but Texas has more weapons than Kentucky does. Guys like Mark Coleman is going to have a good game. Um, Courtney Ramey is going to have a good game. Jared Sims and Greg Brown is going to give Kansas the front court tremendous problems. I want to say Kansas takes their first L of the season, but since it's at Lawrence, I know there's really no fans there, but still plays into fact, play, has, it's still a big factor in my decision. Since it's at Lawrence and it's at Allen, Fieldhouse, I think Kansas squeezes by another win. Top 10 matchup in defensive uh, teams, Kansas 7th, or Texas is 5th. Both clubs very good. Texas has the inside advantage. You mentioned Jericho Sims and Greg Brown. They could have a field day against Kansas, but we've seen Bill Self go zone to neutralize stuff. We've seen him double down in the post, and that will require guys like Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, and Matt Coleman, like you mentioned, and even Kai Jones to – well, Kai Jones not really, but Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey, and Andrew Jones yeah. to step up and have to hit threes. On the year, Texas is shooting 33%. Not terrible, not great. Puts them 173rd in the nation. Kansas is now up to 38.5% from three on the year. That's 37th best in college basketball. I've picked against them the last two times we've said something. <laughs> I've picked Texas Tech and West Virginia. I'm not going to make this mistake again. Although, this is another one because of the interior play. I do want to pick Texas. They have a top five defense. They can make life miserable for Kansas. But I'm with you because it's at Lawrence, and it's hard to bet against Kansas right now. 
I don't want to look like a fool for the third time. I will go Kansas in this by a slight margin. Ken Palm says 70, 67, Kansas. I think that's about perfect. But I do want to – there's a part of me that does want to say Texas wins because of interior play. I want to say Texas wins, but I think Kansas is too much for Texas to handle, especially guard play-wise. I mean, I know Coleman, Courtney Ramey, and Andrew Jones is fantastic. But I just think guys like Christian Brown, Bryce McCormick coming off the bench, and Dewan Harris is going to neutralize some of those players for Texas. Um, so, yeah, I have Kansas winning, but it's definitely an interesting game, and Kansas gets the job done barely. I think I think maybe a little bit more high scoring than that, probably mid-70s range, Kansas gets the job done. So, starts to be a known conference and just takes a hold of the uh, Big 12 conference. Um Next game on the list, we got another big-time game Saturday, another Big Ten clash. We got the number four-ranked team, Iowa, who's going to drop a lot probably, uh, taking on the number 11th-ranked team in the nation, Rutgers. Um, it's the same old, same old. Iowa's going to put up numbers. I don't know how you neutralize them. But can they defend? I don't think so. I think Rutgers with the upset. No, I'm glad you said that because you know I begged you and I fought with you preseason about how good Rutgers was, and I think you're finally starting to see that. Iowa, the number two offense in America, number 91 defense. Rutgers has a top 15 defense. Their defense, teams are only shooting 46% effective field goal percentage. Teams are um, only shooting 30% from three, 30.5% from three. Um this is a very good and underrated still Rutgers team. Yes, Iowa can shoot the three. They, they pull a lot. Luca Garza gets him, and I think that's the key for teams. They're going to let Luca get his. Everybody else is shut down. I'm going Rutgers as well. Ron Harper Jr., Jacob Young. If Luca Garza wants a good matchup that he's going to have to work his ass off to defend, Cliff Amorier is going to challenge him. Yeah. An experienced – I think he was a five-star kid, wasn't he? Four uh, or five stars. Four stars. Four stars. Very, very good on the inside. Iowa has the advantage shooting and it has the advantage size wise. But I like this Rutgers team for a reason. Ron Harper Jr. goes for a big one. Jacob Young goes for a big one. And Montez Mathis, that three headed monster in the backcourt for them. And Geo Baker cannot forget Geo Baker, actually. I like this Rutgers team. Give me Rutgers. And they're shooting, by the way. Rutgers is shooting 30. They're actually shooting per, percentage-wise better from three than Iowa is. True. I think – I predicted Iowa to win the Big Ten Conference coming to this year. It was my favorite to win the conference over teams like Illinois and Indiana and I'll see the rest of the teams in the Big Ten Conference. They can very well start the conference – one and three, because they have to play Northwestern this Tuesday. Northwestern's yeah. on a roll right now. Yeah. They can very well start this conference one and three. Yeah, I agree. One thing that does concern me about Rutgers, they are almost dead last in free throw percentage, shooting 60%. Yeah, you got to be able to hit free throws. So, yeah, I like Rutgers getting the job done for the upset. Top 15 defense, Iowa doesn't defend. Rutgers wins this ball game. Yep. Big East clash on Saturday. Um, 15th ranked team in the nation, Villanova, goes at number 22, Xavier. I think Villanova gets the job done. Villanova has a really good offense like they normally do. Uh, they ranked fourth in offensive efficiency. They got a pretty underrated defense. They ranked 30th in defensive efficiency. Number one in turnover uh, percentage. Um, just take care of the ball, that is. Just take care of the ball. Yeah. They don't really turn the ball over too much. And number fourth and still percentage, so they're taking away the ball from other teams. 
um, Creighton Havoc defensively. They shoot 37.5%, 50th in the nation, 43rd in the nation, two-point percentage. They hit the free throws. Offensively, there's going to be too much for Xavier to handle. Even though I think Xavier gives them a game, especially early in the first half, I think second half, uh, Jamai Robinson is going to have a good game. Connor Gillespie is going to step up and have a, a tremendous game. It's going to be too much for Xavier to handle. I think I think Villanova actually puts up an 80 piece on Xavier. So I like Villanova winning 80 to 74. This is going to be a perfect modern basketball game because neither one's going to really play through the post a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, both teams are very dribble drive perimeter oriented. Colin Gillespie, JRE, uh, Kale Daniels, Dwayne <coughs> Samuels, Cole Swider, Brandon Slater for Villanova, Xavier Paul Scruggs, who might be the best player on the floor, might be. Might. Zach Freeman, Kiki Tandy. Adam Kunkel, who hit the game winner last week. Nate Johnson. Very good ball clubs. Um, underrated as Xavier. Villanova still trying to find their way. I will say Villanova wins, but I think they're going to have to grind it out into the final possession. I think it comes down Xavier has a chance to win the game <clears throat> ball and win the game at home, and um, it doesn't come to fruition. I think Xavier is very good, even though they will lose this game. But it, I think it comes down to final possession, and Villanova finds a way to squeak one. Yeah, I think Villanova's bench is actually have a pretty decent game. Guys like Cole Swider, guys like uh, Caleb Daniels is going to play well. Uh, you want Justin a prediction? Moore. I'm going to predict that these teams combined for over 53-point attempts. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, but, yeah, we've I got Villanova winning this game. Uh, the last game on the list, uh, we have, uh, what was it, the number 20-ranked team, Duke, going at number 21, Florida State. Duke always struggled against Florida State. Florida State, he has the job done. I'm not high on this Duke team, never was coming to the season. Um, they just have too many problems. They're too young for me. Florida State has experience. Florida State, even though Duke is ranked 20th in offensive deficiency and 14th in the fist, uh, defensive efficiency, not really shooting the ball well from three. I mean, 35.4% is okay, but it's not good in my eyes. Block percentage, 90th in the nation. I just think Florida, especially interior, is just too big for Duke to handle. Uh, Matthew Hurts not going to be able to guard uh, Florida State's big man. Um, Scotty Lewis is going to be the best player on the floor. Um, Florida State gets the job done. Yeah, you said Scotty. Oh, Scotty, I'm Scotty, Scotty Barnes. I always get those. Yeah, Barnes is going to be the best player on the floor, I think. It, it, we're going to find out if the layoff actually helps Duke because they got to play Pittsburgh on Tuesday and they get to Florida State. We're going to find out if this layoff helps. Uh, Duke, if they can hit threes, they will be good. They'll be fine. They have talent on this roster. Jalen Johnson, Matthew Hurt, DJ Stewart, Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, Jamin Brakefield, Jordan Goldwire, Joey Baker's a, a shooter. They have talent. They just don't have depth. They don't have that experience that they normally do. But can they match up size-wise to a big Florida State team? They absolutely can. 6'9", 6'9", 6'2", 6'5", 6'8", 6'6", 7'7". So they, they can match up. I think the key for Duke in this, three-pointers, how many they can hit, and can they win on the backboards? Defense, I think they'll do enough to muck it up. But can they win on the backboards? Can they hit the threes? I actually <coughs> think – I think Duke can steal one here. Here's why. I think a layoff like this, Coach Hayes is going to find something in his team and they'll be able to shoot the three. 
I think he realizes that they're not the team that he expects, that they're not going to be able to grind you out like he wants them to. I think they're going to have to try to get out and run, muck stuff up. You're going to see a different Jordan Goldwire. The five stars will be different. He's going to run different types of offense. This could be a game where Matthew Hurt breaks out. I think on Jalen Johnson, we've seen him have like a 20-rebound game already. I think Duke steals one here. I really – there's something in my gut because I like this Florida State team, but I don't like them as much as years past. I think Duke steals one here. Illinois gave Duke trouble because of their front court. Besides an Aiden Dunstan, Kofi Kermer dominated uh, Duke's bigs. Duke is going to have trouble against Florida State's size. Florida State is ranked second in average height, which doesn't really surprise me because they got to always have tremendous – they got always seven footers on the team, so that doesn't surprise me, but – they're ranked second in the nation when it comes to average height. They're very tall, have tremendous size. That's going to give Duke problems. Just like I said in the Illinois game, just like I'm saying in this game, the only chance I see Duke having to win in this game, you kind of already mentioned it, but I'm going to particularly call out one player, is if Matthew Hurry can stretch it out, hit shots, and really bring out uh, Florida State's big man outside and force them to play outside of their conference zone. Yep. If he can hit a tremendous percentage from three, Willie shoot a three goal on the bars from the three-point line. And I think Duke could upset Florida State. And I'm saying it's an upset because Duke's not good. But I just don't think it's going to happen. Florida State gets the job done. If you also look, Duke's one of the worst teams, which is weird to see. They're one of the worst teams in the nation and getting free throw attempts and field goal attempts. They're 312 in the nation. They got to get more shots up. They're allowing defenses to smother them too much. But I think, again, this break could actually help them. We'll find out how they look against Pittsburgh, but really against Florida State. I think Duke, Coach K's shown he's not scared to go zone anymore. I think that they could zone up Florida State and really make them work. I know Florida State's shooting 35%, but they've not seen zone a whole lot this year. I think that Duke could really go zone, mess them up, to keep themselves out of foul trouble against the Florida State bigs. And if guys like Scotty Barnes and MJ Walker aren't hitting – then it's a long game because look at individual three-point percentages. I mean, Anthony Polite, he's shooting 52%, but he's not shot a whole lot. Guys who's shooting threes, Raekwon Gray, 27%. MJ Walker shooting 42%. Nathaniel Jack shooting 36%. Scotty Barnes only shooting 26%. Yeah. They are 37% overall as a team, but keep in mind, they're not taking a whole bunch of them. So I think if Duke goes zone and makes them shoot to three, it could be a downfall to Florida State. Size won't matter then if you can't shoot and you don't get rebounds. We'll see. Uh, I think Florida State gets the job done, though. Uh, real quick, another game on this list, because it is a top 25 matchup. Uh, Virginia takes on uh, Virginia Tech, which I don't remember the ranking. I think they're like 22nd or something like that. But, I mean, obviously it's a rivalry game. Virginia versus Virginia Tech. I think it's at Virginia no, it's at Virginia. Well, yeah, it's at Virginia. Yeah, excuse me. I was going to say Virginia Tech. But, yeah, Virginia, it's on the home court. After that embarrassment, getting embarrassed by Gonzaga, there's no chance in hell Virginia Tech even scores close to 100 points. Virginia holds court. They get the job done. I like Ken Palm's prediction, 61-57. I'm actually going to go with Ken Palm's prediction on that. I agree. I go with Virginia to bounce back win. Also, too, um, yeah, Minnesota should be ranked on Tuesday – or should be on rank on Monday. Tuesday, they play – Michigan State in uh, in the barn. Ken Palm favors them by two. I have Minnesota winning as well. State Sparty goes 0-3 in conference. Not a chance. You got Sparty? Yeah, Sparty gets the job done. 
I like I love Richard Pitino. I think he's a great coach. Minnesota's having a good year so far. No chance in hell Michigan State starts the Big Ten 0 and 3. You'll Let's see. Just know. Marcus Carr drops a 40 piece. He might, but everyone else is getting shut down to like maybe four points. <laughs> I'm sorry. Michigan State gets the job done. There's just uh no. Okay. Call. Sorry. Okay. Rocket Watts. Too much. Okay. We'll this see. is Joshua, Joshua Langford's breakout game. Just saying. He drops 20 plus. We'll see. We'll see. Joey Hauser did have a good game the other Joey night. Joey Hauser did have a good game. Against Wisconsin, 20-some. Yeah. So, we'll see. Maybe he's getting rolling. But I, I you got to ride the momentum. I think Northwestern Minnesota playing well. So, got to keep with it. Uh-huh. Um, before we get into all our superlatives, start to wrap this thing up. It's time for some Cook's Corner. Let's get it. Everything college basketball listeners, it is Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. And do you know what time it is? Right now, it's time for you to put on your chef's hat and get ready to talk about people getting cooked on the court, maybe a little pick and roll. Who knows what we're going to talk about, but right now it's time for ECB's resident cook, Tyler Cook with Cook's Corner. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Cook's Corner. Josh and Peyton have been loading your ears up with all kinds of good information in the last week's action. So I'm going to go ahead and touch on a few things myself so we'll get right into it john calipari overrated this man gets the the top recruits year in and year out always top five in the, the classes coming in no matter what sometimes it works sometimes they mess really well but this year he's got his hands full and he is showing that he cannot adjust not putting players in the right positions not allowing players to get playing time that need playing time can't control the players, can't control his own attitude when things go wrong. John Calipari, overrated. Got a couple more for you today, folks. Gonzaga Bulldogs. I'm not going to say over underrated. I'm going to say underappreciated. For years, everybody said Gonzaga wasn't shit because they couldn't play people outside of their conference. They wouldn't. They said they wouldn't get people to play them. Well, now that people are stepping up to the plate, they're not liking the heat that Gonzaga's throwing over it. Gonzaga's knocked off everybody that stepped in their way. I believe they even would have took out Baylor if that game got the play. They just beat the living hell out of one of the best defensive-minded teams in the country. They've knocked, they've knocked off Kansas. Gonzaga Bulldogs are underrated. These fellas have been doing great things for years. They're finally getting a chance to show out of their conference and just not the tournament that they are prepared and ready to make runs year in, year out. And the next one, it's going to call me biased, I don't care. This year's Kansas team, underappreciated. We don't have our typical dominant big man. We don't have our typical point guard that can get us a bucket anytime we need it. We have a coherent team for all year, all offseason. Kansas ain't going to bounce back. Kansas is going to be top 20 at best. Kansas is going to be this. They ain't going to be nothing without uh, as a bouquet. They don't have their star player in Dotson. Let me tell you something, motherfuckers. Bill Self is the man. This dude knows how to adjust. The best out-of-timeout, out-of-bounds player, or out-of-bounds plays coach I've ever seen. Biased or not, I don't care. Call me on it. Who's got it better than that? He gets a bucket every time. He knows how to move players around. He expects things out of players. He will yank your ass out of the game, put in players that will play hard. John Calipari takes some notes. Kansas, 
this year, 2020, 2021. Super underappreciated coming into this year. They are finally turning some heads, getting some getting some notoriety. The only person they really talked about was Marcus Garrett. You know, Jalen Wilson coming off his injury. Christian Braun stepping up. Said we couldn't rebound. We've out-rebounded every single fucking team we've beat. And the only time we didn't was when we got beat by Gonzaga. Remember for over the last two years, I said rebounding wins games. There you go, boys. Point blank period. Rebounding wins games. These guards crash hard. David McCormack, you know, he's, he's trying to develop. He's just not there yet. But the other pieces that we got are really clicking. These boys can shoot the ball with consistency, which has been a problem. But everything else has just fallen into place. It's been a nice thing to see. I know some of the fans in the group, the Kentucky fans, are having trouble. IU fans having a little up and down season. Illinois is kind of falling off like we haven't. We expect them to be a little bit better, but they'll get it going. But as of right now, Kansas is on a roll. Gonzaga's on a roll. Kentucky's a fucking snowball down a 90-degree hill. Boys, it's it's going to be a fun rest of the season. We'll get back to Justin Payton. Hope you don't walk away with a lamp. I just gave it to you all. Peace. <laughs> you got to love it. He's right, though, about what he said about Bill Self. I, no, I, he's right about everything, right? I mean, yeah, he, everything. he brought three points, right? So let's hit the first one real quick. Kentucky. Or, well, John Calipari. What did he say that was wrong in any of that? No, that's spot on. No, he didn't say anything wrong. Gonzaga, right. Yeah. And would they probably beat Baylor? Probably. But Baylor would be their best chance. But, yeah, he's right about Gonzaga. And third, yeah, we we thought Kansas would be good. Would, would they be this good? No. No. So he's right about all three points. Uh, yeah, I think mainly though, what he said about Bill Self being one of the most, the best uh, when it comes to like out of bounds plays is completely correct. I think he's one of the best when it comes to in game adjustments, period. Right. Coach K is great. Does Tom Izzo's great at doing that as well, but Bill Self might be the best when it comes to in game adjustments, finding opportunities when it comes to out of timeouts, finding guys who can get buckets. And everything he said about Coach Cal and Gonzaga and even Kansas and Bill Self. Was completely spot on, and he mentioned Illinois. Illinois is obviously struggling. Everything he said was spot on. I love these Cooks Cornish, and I hope you guys do too, which I think y'all do. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think Cook, good little four or five minute six piece every week to kind of just his raw and unfiltered thoughts. And as you heard, he just gave it to us raw anyway. So. Oh god, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was a good. I mean, good point. Speaking of raw, we still need that Bluetooth sponsor, by the way. Eventually, that's coming, and I need to get me. Uh, get us um, little Caesars too. Best pizza in the world. That seven dollar pepperoni cheeser cheeser pizza. You know, after I beat, or well, after I beat, after Louisville beat Kentucky, I was drinking some Fireball. Fireball, can you sponsor us too? I want to get this shit for free, and we don't have to pay for it. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all let's end. That's all I got. Let's let's see if we can follow Cook and end this show right. Let's go to our – we are done the Burton's bus. Let's go to – Shooting stars, maybe? Yeah, let's do shooting stars. This year, well. this week we don't have sinking ships. Uh, Just like last week we didn't, right? Yeah, last oh, week we, we did. did. We, we had three did. of them. Never but passed. no sinking ships this week because they're the, the, the usual culprit. Well, I mean, Kentucky – Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same old, same old. So, two shooting stars that we want to give some love to both in the Big Ten, alluded to them just a little bit ago. Northwestern and Minnesota. Peyton, Northwestern, 
has been playing out of their mind right now. Three big-time wins back-to-back-to-back. to back to back. be Iowa, Indiana, and Ohio State. No, uh, Michigan State, Indiana, Ohio State. Close enough. I Minnesota is 8-1 and one overall now, 1-1 one one in the Big Ten with a big win over Iowa. Little Richard's doing it well. So those two programs are on the rise inside the toughest conference in basketball right now. Let's go to shout-outs. You want uh, first volley? Uh – yeah, I mean, I only got one shout-out. I got to give it to my man, Chris Mack. Damn it, you're taking a shout-out of mine. I, he was literally my first shout-out. Sorry, hey, you gave it to me. I'm giving it back. We'll just do a double shout-out. Chris together. Mack uh, from Louisville, head coach from Louisville. Shout-out to him. Obviously, he just got that big win against Louisville, or get big wins against Kentucky as his first win over them. I see a stat that actually interests me that I was going to mention when we were talking about this Louisville-Kentucky game, but I'm actually kind of glad I saved it for the shout-out segment. Coach Mack has been the head coach for Louisville for two and a half seasons so far. Look at some of the teams that he's already beat. He's beaten teams like Kentucky, Michigan State, Duke, Carolina twice, Michigan, and Virginia. And he almost beat Indiana. He almost beat teams like Tennessee and Marquette as well. But those, like, five, six teams he's already beaten in two and a half seasons. He's a tremendous coach. We made the right hire. Took that one-year layoff when David Padgett was the head coach or the interim head coach. But ever since he took the official head coach position, he just took this little program by storm. And what a hire that was. We had a home run with that, and I can't be thankful for him. Yeah, that was a great hire. Um, he came into a tough situation. And he's still not completely out of the water on that, but tough situation, and he, he cleaned it up. He's bringing in – that's the one thing I'm concerned about. How well would he recruit? Because that Xavier, you knew – he was getting three stars, four stars, but he's recruiting well at Louisville and he's coaching them up. He's developing team identities. They're, they're laid the groundwork what they want or the foundation for what they want out of defense. So they've got an identity there. They play really hard. They're connected most part. And it was a great hire. He had connections in Louisville because his wife and he'd already built up a good Xavier program. Yeah. So he knew how to slowly build and sustain a winner at that, at a tough place like Xavier. So, and not Xavier is not a tough place. I didn't mean like that. They're just not Louisville. Xavier's yeah. a very yeah. good historic program. It's not that. But um, so as a great hiring, yeah, all these good wins. Now the next step is he's got to win the ACC. He's got to get Louisville consistently top five recruiting classes. <clears throat> consistently get Louisville to one, two seed contention, win some tournament games. Get to the final the, the, four. There's a lot of steps, but you're on the right path. And yeah, he finally gets him a win in the, the rivalry. Yeah. And now it's game one. It's game one. Um, you mentioned him at Xavier. He got to Xavier. He got Xavier to a one seed one year. Um, so he did very good at Xavier. He's already doing good. You mentioned the recruiting. Uh, really, his first head coaching year, I mean, it still involves recruiting, got all those transfers. Akoi Gayu got Cushion Cunningham. Um, his first recruiting class, we had like a top five ranked recruiting class. We've seen what we did with that. This year's class coming in uh, for this year's team, we had really the top 15. It wasn't as good as last year's class, but we're still doing pretty well. And then next year's class, we got like a top five ranked recruiting class again. So, and we got some transfers. So he's hitting the transfers hard, keeping the recruiting or keep getting the recruits in, staying in the Louisville home ground, getting a lot of Louisville recruits in, like David Johnson. In, do, and do you think he, he's glad now that you went ahead and played in Louisville instead of postponing? <laughs> I think so, too, yeah. Um, yeah. 
I'm glad we played. Either way, we're gonna win that game. So, so but um, I got two more shout outs. Northwestern, we just mentioned them. Three big wins this week, beating Michigan State, Indiana, and Ohio State. That program needs and deserves to be a winner. They're actually leading the Big Ten right now, 3-0 in conference play. Leading the toughest conference in basketball, probably should be ranked this week. Northwestern's a good, solid team. They have no real superstars, but a bunch of role guys who know their deal, shoot the three well, defend. This is a, It's an interesting Northwestern side. It definitely is. Uh, Northwestern undefeated in Big Ten College is just crazy to see, and they can very well beat, um, who did I say that? Michigan State. Michigan State. They can very well start fooling out in the conference, but oh, what a task they've had ahead of them. Um, definitely the most surprising oh, no, team. Iowa. Oh, yeah, Iowa. Iowa yeah. Definitely the most surprising team so far in the Big Ten, and really the whole uh, nation. My last shout-out goes to Minnesota star Marcus Cart. Obviously, we talked about the overtime win Friday night against Iowa. He led the way with 30 points, three boards, eight assists, one of the top uh, guards in America inside the Big Ten. Marcus Carr, shout out to you. Let's end the show right, Peyton. Bank on it. I've sucked all year. I've got one, I think I'm like one and four now on the year on bank on it. Came very close this past week. My bank on it this week. I have them winning Saturday against Florida State. But their first game back in almost two or three weeks off the layoff at home, Duke loses to Pittsburgh. Oh, what the fuck? They lose to Pittsburgh. Wait, yeah. Pittsburgh. Dude, Pittsburgh played start off bad, remember? Yeah, they played a little tough. But... They're like five and two now, six and two. Yeah. So they're playing a little better. First game back off a layoff, it's going to be tough, I think. That's why I think they lose this, and then they'll go and beat Florida State. But bank on it. Pittsburgh over Duke and Cameron Indoor on Tuesday night. I Damn, I was not expecting that one. You I said, thought, wait a minute, what? I was like, yeah, what the fuck? I thought he was going to mention the Florida State one. Yeah. I'm like, hell yeah, finally. Um, my bank on it, you mentioned, what's your record, 1-4 or something like that? Something bad, yeah. You're 1-4, four, I'm 4-1. Four Kentucky was 1-5 or 1-5. 1-6. 1-5. 1-6. 1-5 and Louisville was 5-1. Oh, Louisville okay. beat them 6-1. Kentucky's 1-6. Okay, okay. Stop okay. interrupting me. <laughs> bank on it. What was my bank on again? Hold on, where's it at? Oh, it's right here. Rutgers, double down on this. Rutgers defeats Iowa. I like it. Yeah, I like that. Defense wins in this one. That's all I got. <laughs> I like it. So we hope, again, this is the, the New Year's edition of this. We hope everybody has a safe and happy New Year's Eve on Thursday evening going into Friday morning and a great New Year's Day on Friday. Our, our fellow people over at the college basketball, our college football landscape, we've got a lot of good college football bowls, playoff games coming down the pike this week. But everybody, I just hope you guys stay safe. Enjoy what's left of 2020. This has been a miserable year for a lot of us. Let's get through it. We've only got one week left. And then on Friday, starts a brand new year, 2021. That's going to be our year for everybody, our return. That's going to be our Virginia Cinderella um, from worst to first kind of mentality. So let's just make it through. You guys stay safe. Don't do anything to ruin the final bit of 2020, even worse. And then Friday, we start a new. Next Sunday, when we come back to you, the first podcast of the brand new year that starts everything off right. So have a good rest of your 2020. Be safe on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And you got anything to wrap this up? 
Yeah, you kind of like mentioned it. 2021 is the year ECB takes over. Conor McGregor had that famous line, said, we're not here to take pot, we're here to take over, and that's what we're going to do. We're here to take over college basketball landscape by storm. Therefore, 2021 is our motherfucking year. So, yeah. yeah. So, from everybody ECB to all of you out there, thank you for everything in 2020. Be safe on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and we'll catch you with a brand new edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, the first one of 2021, next Sunday. Until then, I'm Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Burton. And we will see you in the next year. Peace.